Welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast, where our goal is to explore biblical worldview and servant leadership to equip you for everyday influence. Here's your host, author and director of cultural engagement, Jonathan Morrow. Should you live your truth? Big question in our culture right now. Really excited to have Elisa Childers with us to talk about this in her brand new book that's coming out, Live Your Truth, exposing popular deceptions that make us anxious, exhausted, and self-obsessed. Now, we get to hang out in the summer, and you're teaching our summer students right now. We're talking about some of these things. Uh, But maybe let's just back up a little bit. Why did you think now is the time to write this particular book? Well, so this, and we missed the, uh, the it's and other lies. Oh, and other That's lies. That's the important we got lots part. Of yeah, lies. lies. The lots of lies in this book. So I actually, you know what's interesting is that uh, in my experience, most people write a book and then they'll craft a teaching or a talk or something around the book. This was sort of the opposite for me. So I was asked to speak at a women's conference several years ago now. And the idea was to talk about just kind of the the pretty little lies that we see in culture, just little slogans that sound positive. They sound like something you'd want to say to somebody if they're having a hard day. And they're the kind of things we tend to share and like on social media because they're just they just sound positive. Um, But when we really drill down to what's behind those lies, what's lying underneath them, there are some logical inconsistencies. But even below that really some ideas that would lead us away from the truth of what God has revealed to us about how to live our lives and what's actually going to make us flourish as humans. And so I wrote this talk that I gave at this women's conference. So we crafted that talk into a book, essentially. And it's not just for women. This is uh, called Live Your Truth and Other Lies because we want to keep it in the realm of just this is kind of stuff we're all falling for. And uh, and men and women, I think, buy into these lies in different ways and, and maybe emphasize some over others, depending. And so uh, I had a lot of fun writing this book, though, because each chapter takes on a lie. Mm -hmm. Then we explore where it's coming in through culture, how it fails logically. But then I get to spend quite a bit of time in the Bible talking about the better story that the Bible has and and just the answers that the Bible has that are so much better and more satisfying, ultimately, than these slogans that the world has to offer us. Yeah, so helpful and and so, so needed. Um, And before we dive into some of these, one of the things you talked about was we kind of live in this age of, of the God of self in general. Yeah. Maybe maybe talk about some of the waters that are kind of converging, some of that ideas around why do you think we see that more maybe now and maybe just describe what that God of self mentality is in the yeah. background. Yeah, and I think that's really it. It's like it's, it all comes down to authority. Where Where are we looking to? as far as what's going to inform what we live out our lives as, like what do we think is true and how do we know what is true? And I think that particularly some things that have bled into the church are these ideas that you really just look to your own heart for those things. Um, You you follow your own moral compass to, to, you know, affirm teachings that you think are good and reject the ones that you think are bad or affirm teachings that are leading you toward wholeness in your life and reject the ones that you think are harmful for you. Now, I know like on the surface, that sounds good, right? We don't want to accept harmful beliefs. We want to reject hurtful beliefs. But the problem is, is that we have to take a step back and we have to begin with truth. Because if we don't begin with truth, then our idea of what is good and bad or helpful or harmful 
is going to be misinformed and we're going to be following our own hearts really to our own destruction because uh, I use this analogy with my uh, uh, something that happened with my son. I talk about this in the book where he had a cavity and he was very young and I couldn't really help him understand what was going to happen. And I just remember him sitting in the dentist chair and he really wanted it to stop. But I knew, because I have more information as his mom, that if we don't deal with that cavity, it could lead to a whole host of other health problems that could cause more pain in his life. But he doesn't know that. So if he just follows his heart and he just makes the decision, he's going to get out of the chair and he's not going to get the cavity taken care of. And so how much more information does God have? So it's a book really about submitting ourselves to the authority of God and God's word. And sometimes we have to align what we think is good based on God's word but I think we've got it flipped sometimes because we tend to do it the opposite way. We tend to kind of formulate our interpretation of God's word based on what we think is already good or bad based in our own hearts. Yeah, and then we impose that. That's right. And, and kind of shape it to our own own image on that. So, well, let's dive into it. What's what's one of the lies that you talk about in here? What, one, of the, one of the big ones that you see around us every day? Well, I think one of the big, well, the big one is live your truth, right? But okay. I think that there are some other ones that lead up to that one. And one of the big ones I think is you are enough. Okay. So this is this is an idea that, and this is what I explain in the book too. The actual lie itself, we call them like happy little lies or pretty little lies because they're kind of ambiguous. If you filter it through a biblical worldview, it kind of makes sense. Or if you filter it through other things. So it's a little bit ambiguous in that sense. But mm -hmm. when the culture is saying you're enough, typically what they're saying is there's nothing outside of you that you need to become complete or whole, um, you're not broken. So ultimately, it's, it's sort of built on the idea that humans are not sinful, that humans are inherently good. Hmm. And this is something that's very popular in progressive Christianity is to teach people, you know, you shouldn't see yourself as a sinner. You should see yourself as inherently good and inherently blessed, which is, it's kind of a half truth because as we know, biblically speaking, all human beings have been, have been made in the image and likeness of God. And because of that, we have inherent dignity and value and worth. Yeah. We know that. But then we have the fall. And it all comes down to what people think about the fall. Because in progressive Christianity, they really reject the idea that humans are inherently sinful because of this event that happened in history, the fall. And so if you don't have inherent sinfulness, well, then you can see why you would tell somebody you're enough. You know, you just need to realize you've been made in the image of God. You're good. God called you good. Just live that. But the problem is, is that we have the fall. And so uh, we need redemption. And I think this is honestly one of the hardest messages to convince people of today, mm -hmm. especially given all the media, uh, music, TV, movies that are telling us, you know, you should follow your heart. You're perfect just as you are. You're enough for yourself. There's nothing outside of you you need to become complete or whole. I mean, Christianity is the opposite of that. We actually teach you're inherently sinful. You need to be saved. Mm -hmm. And it's very countercultural and very counterintuitive, I think, for people who have just been told their whole lives, you just need to follow your heart. Yeah, and so then that comes out. Let's add a couple layers because I can imagine somebody's listening to this. They're like, okay, well, but I'm a, but I'm a Christian now. So I'm in Christ. Mm -hmm. What does that mean for me being enough? And usually maybe this is how this might play out. It's like, okay, how is that balance between kind of that perfectionism on the one hand mm -hmm. and where I need to grow and change? Can you talk about that maybe nuance a little bit? Yeah. Maybe maybe a second layer underneath that lie, but for maybe the Christians like, well, I, I would say, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm also saved by grace. Yeah. 
So now what do I do when I'm thinking, right. am I enough? Am I doing enough? How do I change? Like, right. can you talk about well, that, that dynamic a little bit? Yeah, I think that's the beauty of grace that we as humans tend to resist. If you look at all the false gospels, false doctrines that have come down the pike, so many of them sort of bottom out into works, right? It's like, I think instinctively, we kind of all resist grace, because we, I don't know if it's because of all the Disney movies we watched, I don't know what it is, but we kind of want God to look down from heaven and notice us and be like, I see all that hard work you're doing. I see how kind you are. I see how, you know, how much good you're doing. I'm going to pick you for my team. You know, I'm going to put you on my team. And I think that we, we sort of want to earn it in that sense. But really what grace is, is unmerited favor. We don't deserve it, but he gives it to us anyway. So I, I explain it this way, that... Really, when you're in, you're not enough on your own, but because Jesus lived a morally perfect life and then took your sins upon himself, when you trust in him, the Bible talks about his righteousness getting imputed to us. So the way I word it is, you're not enough, but Jesus is enough, mm. and he's more enough than you'll ever be, even at the best you could ever be, as the pinnacle of human perfection that you could achieve is still gonna fall short of the moral perfection and the perfect life Jesus lived. But the cool thing about Christianity is that when we trust in Jesus, we're not enough, but he is enough. So his enoughness gets put onto us so that when the father looks at us, he doesn't see uh, all our sin. He sees we are literally adopted into his family. We become children of God and Jesus enoughness covers us. And so we actually get a bonus even beyond what we could achieve for ourselves because Jesus already did achieve it. And so then kind of how we live in that tension of perfection versus just you know, living however you want to live is uh, this idea that I think we find in First John, which is walking in the light. So I think this is the solution. As Christians, that means every bit of us is exposed to God and we're open to the Holy Spirit convicting us of our sins. And um, there was a theologian, Charles Ryrie, who said he, he compared the, this process, the sanctification really, to God gives you light, you respond to that light, then he gives you more light. And then you respond to that light and he gives you more. And that process is going to continue until we're face to face with, mm -hmm. with Christ. But in the meantime, it's sort of like freeing to know that you can't earn it anyway. So live in the light. Let God convict you of your sin. Live in submission to Christ. Do your best to obey and let the fruit of that obedience be worked in your life. And it's a process. It's a process for all of us. No, I think that's really encouraging and is rooted in reality and scripture as opposed to just kind of good intentions and, and the kind of the performance trap that we can fall into in our culture. What about like authenticity, right? What's what's one of the lies around that that you talk about? Yeah, so authenticity is a, is a tough one because defined properly, I think Christians could use a little more authenticity, right? We really should be living more authentically, meaning living in the truth, uh, living honest before the Lord and even each other, if we're struggling with certain sins or we're struggling emotionally, uh, to be to not just put on the fake plastic Christian smile when we walk into church, but really be authentic in that sense. Um, but the lie in the book, the way I word it is, the lie is that authenticity is everything. Hmm. So really the biggest goal is just to kind of figure out who you are and then let it out and then just, just live that. Okay. Whereas in Christianity... We know that we need to be regenerated and changed by the Holy Spirit. So um, we don't just want to use the word authenticity as an excuse 
to kind of wink at our sin or embrace just the messiness of our, our sin nature. Um, we actually want to expose those things to the light, like we just talked about, and live authentically before the Lord in, a, in the sense that we're not just saying, oh, this is just who I am, so I'm going to let it out, which is, I think, what the world means when it talks about authenticity. Um, but rather, let's be honest and let's really bear our hearts before the Lord in that type of authenticity, but let him convict us to where we actually end up repenting of our sin and turning from our sin and things that would corrupt us because that's really what sin is. There's an Old Testament scholar named Jay Sklar and he says sin is like an acid that mars and distorts and destroys everything it touches. Mm. So essentially sin is an affront to a holy God, but it's also something that destroys you at the same time. And so the freedom that Jesus offers us is freedom from the slavery to sin. Yeah. And uh, and that's that's a great message, but it's again, to convince a culture that they're actually sinners. That's like the first step that is really difficult these yeah. days. Yeah, the bad news. And, you know, and then how do you think some of this plays out? We'll get to another, some of the myths in a minute and some of the lies. But, you know, in our culture, there's a lot of emotional and mental health challenges, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people. So in some in one sense, people are like pushing the positivity message as, a, as an antidote to mm -hmm. that. Um, how can kind of the truth from God's word actually help us kind of move past some of that to deal honestly with those things? Because I know that's sometimes people are just well-intentioned. They're just trying to yeah, be positive, sure. right? Yeah. There's like, say something positive online, you know, yeah. as opposed to all the negativity. <laughs> right. But maybe talk about how that can actually help with the longer lasting mm. hope and change and reality that, that we need. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the, one of the main points of the book is that certain phrases that sound positive actually end up putting quite a burden on people because uh, we know that we have a sin nature. We know that we're inherently sinful and that needs to be fixed, but it's not something we can fix ourselves. So when you tell somebody you're enough, essentially what you're telling them is you need to fix all your problems all by yourself. And I think that's really a message of bondage because we can't. In fact, there's a book, a great book I recommend and I quoted in my book, it's called You're Not Enough and That's Okay by mm -hmm. Ali Bestecki. And she makes a great point in the book. She said, the self can't both be the problem and the solution. And so I think what we're doing, even well-meaning to, to, to say, look, you're enough. You just, you know, you do you, all those mm -hmm. phrases that we do. Essentially, that puts bondage and a burden on people to be the solution of their own problems. But we are not perfect. We, we are not the ones who can achieve that, but we can offer a relationship with the one who has already achieved all of that. And so um, I think that convincing people they're sinners is number one. That's the tough thing because they've been told all these other messages, but also I think highlighting the freedom of what it actually means to follow Jesus because you're essentially surrendering yourself to him saying, I know I can't fix it. I'm not enough for myself. I need you. I need something outside of myself. And the good news is that, is that we have that, and that's mm -hmm. Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so many good good um, myths and lies you, you and deal with in here. Um, so many good ones. You're going to have to get the book to get them all. But maybe um, maybe pick one. Let's do uh, You Shouldn't Judge. Yeah. Well, what about that one, right? You know, I mean, the last thing in the world anybody wants to be is judgmental, right? Right, so, yeah. So what's, what's the lie? What's the truth on that one? Right. So this is like the atheist's favorite Bible verse, right? <laughs> you shouldn't judge. They're quoting Jesus, judge not lest you be not judged, right? For in the same way you judge, you will be judged. 
So if you go to the context of that verse, what Jesus is talking about is helping your brother take the speck out of his eye, right? Examine yourself, take the log out of your own eye, make sure that you're not judging hypocritically. But as Christians, and I, this is like shocking to people who don't read their Bibles, but the Bible actually calls Christians to judge each other. And what it means by that is not judging the eternal, like we don't get, I don't get to say where you're going to spend eternity. That's not my call. That's God's call. But where the judgment comes in is Paul said, who am I to judge outsiders? Isn't it those inside the church we are to judge? And what that has to do is walking in real authenticity as believers together throughout life, confronting each other of our sin that we may not see. But Jesus' instructions on that is to not do it hypocritically. Search your own heart. Make sure you're not guilty of that sin or a bigger sin. Uh, and, and you're just walking around being the sin police for people. That's not what we're called to do. But I tell a story in the book that I think illustrates uh, a time when this was really executed well and rightly. So um, I share in the book about how years ago, I struggled for a few years with a pretty intense eating disorder when I was a part of Christian music. And one of my bandmates, she picked up on what was going on and she's just such a people pleaser. Like it was so hard for her to confront me, but she did, she confronted me. And it didn't go well, like I didn't receive it well. And she continued to confront, even brought in my other bandmate. And after a while, it was that that really caused me to confess it for the first time, mm. to seek some help, to get some counseling for a few years. Um, then the Lord was showing me things I needed to repent of and walk away from. And throughout that whole process, um, I really think it saved my life. I think that she judged me out of love because she wanted me to be okay. She wanted me to be healthy. Um, and it wasn't easy for her. You know, she wasn't just being the, the finger-waving sin police. But I think when that's the heart behind confronting each other, that's the type of judgment the Bible is talking about within the church. Because we know that when sin is left unchecked, it can corrupt other things. Like a little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? So we have to, to expose those things to the light. And sometimes we have to help each other do that. Uh, but it has to be done with the right heart and in the right scenario. Um, but according to the world, you're not supposed to do that. You're, mm -hmm. According to culture, we're not supposed to tell somebody they're doing something, they're making a moral choice that would be wrong. And so um, the Bible just has a very different story on that. And so we, we get into that a little bit in the book too. Absolutely. And that's so helpful because, I mean, we, we are a meme culture, a, you know, slogans and sound bites and all the little things. And honestly, in many ways, what we need is a lot more clear thinking mm -hmm. and biblical insight and authority to help us kind of sift through that. And that's that's one of the things I love about this is saturated with scripture. You're going to point people back to the word of God again and again and again. Say that sounds true because it's partly true, but the lie looks, you know, right. I mean, we you've talked about this, you know, lies aren't lies when they're super obvious. To spot, yeah. I mean, know? the best lies contain the most truth. And I think that's why um, people are, it's so tricky these days because you know, and it sometimes things are overreactions. Like somebody might have been told their whole life, you're worthless. You're, mm -hmm. And then they hear this message, you know what, you're enough. I totally get why that would be so appealing and yeah. so attractive because it's such the opposite of what they've told. But the Bible always calls us to just speak the truth, which sometimes is going to be in the middle, but sometimes it's just going to be something completely different. And uh, we're, we're called out of the world to live the truth that God has revealed to us in his word. And I think that that's always going to be a better story. It's going to lead us to more flourishing in yeah. the end anyway. Absolutely. Well, there's so many good things in here. And I mean, 
every one of us needs to take this to heart. The next generation needs to take this to heart. It's always a blast having you down here teaching um, our students, whether that's summer and propel and immersion or with fellows or whatever that might be. Um, but so this book is coming out. You need to grab a copy of this book. This is Live Your Truth and Other Lies, Exposing Popular Deceptions That Make Us Anxious, Exhausted, and Self-Obsessed by Lisa Childers. So where can people find more? We'll have links to the book, but where yeah. can people learn more about you and the great work that you're doing? Thank you. Yeah, and there's a pre-order available for that. So you can go to Amazon or go to elisachilders.com for more information on the, pre, on the pre-order bonuses and those sort awesome. of things. But yeah, YouTube, uh, Instagram, Facebook, at Elisa Childers. And alisachilders.com, everything, all the links to everything will be there. Awesome. Well, thank you for your faithfulness. Thanks for pointing us back to God's word to help expose these um, little lies that actually enslave us rather than set us free. So thanks for all you're doing. Thank you. For more information about our on-campus worldview and leadership experiences for students and our accessible online courses like Explore Truth and Explore the Resurrection, visit impact360.org. Impact 360 Institute. Know. Be. Live.